This is one of our super recaps of the, the last 10 books, not quite the last 10 books that we've read because we've sort of moved on a little bit. I can't believe that we're past book number 40. So usually we start the episodes with a story. So give us a story, Liz. I guess I can tell you about the marathon that I ran in October. Uh, so I guess some people have, um, you know, they've probably heard here and there little comments about our marathon attempt, which was our sub three hour attempt. Uh, it didn't quite work out. Didn't quite work out like we planned, but we got a lot of, uh, I guess, positive things out of it. We did. Yeah. I mean, it was the day, the day was not perfect. So it was kind of windy. It was a course that was by the water. That being said, the course itself was, was perfect. It was pretty flat and uh, it was two out and backs. So like if you were running half marathon, you'd go out and back once. And if you were running the marathon, like we were, you went out and back a second time. So nice and predictable, kind of the way I like it. I tend to like yeah. boring races. So, um, so it was, it was fantastic uh, mentally for me, but there was one direction that was really windy. I think, what were the winds on that day again? 55 kilometers per hour, I think, or, and then yeah. gusting uh, even higher than that. There was one section that just, this is sort of both our stories. We did the training. We weren't sure whether it would work, but we set off on pace. Mm -hmm. By halfway, we'd been out, we'd been back and we were on perfect schedule. So we did yep. the first half in one hour. 29 45 or something yeah we were like within 15 seconds of uh an exact half split so for us for our planning we thought perfect because we haven't gone mm -hmm. out too quickly we haven't used more energy than we need to and we're exactly on schedule we were sort of looking at each other and i think thinking hey maybe this is on yeah i was definitely thinking that because i felt and uh, I figured, okay, so this is going to be the hard 10K with the wind in our face, like the first 10K, but the wind had picked up by then and it was actually much harder than the first 10K. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So I think, I think it took me about two kilometers going back into the wind and then I was way off pace. Yeah. So I guess um, our imperfect training buildup, which was really imperfect because our marathon uh, the marathon that we were choosing, the dates kept changing because at first we were going to do Toronto, which was October 17th. And then that was canceled because of COVID. And so we had chosen, uh, we were going to do Philadelphia, uh, yeah. which is a November marathon. And then finally it was too hard to get across the border or too unpredictable. Yeah. And because we did that, we pushed our training schedule back five weeks. Mm -hmm. So we started one block really the endurance block we restarted it so we did that twice yeah and then and then we had to change the marathon again because it was too hard to get across the border into the US so we were we had found the small marathon in Georgina and that was October 17th so the original date so then we had to move forward in our plan by like 5 weeks so then we missed whatever whatever uh, section that was supposed to be so we did the some of the speed, twice. some of the speed training and some of the pace training. Yeah. And, uh, then there was also in the training plan because we chose the training plan from advanced marathoning. Uh, they actually have two or three kind of like, um, test races or build up races, or I don't remember exactly what they call them, but, uh, you race with it, like sort of out from your, your goal marathon, you do, you pick like uh, some uh, two or three 
between 8K and half marathon races. And uh, those were non-existent for us because all the races in Montreal were canceled and we weren't going to travel for an 8K race. We ended up not having any of those. We sort of did... We sort of tried to do like a virtual one, I think, didn't we, Alan? I guess we kind of did, but you know, you don't get the race preparation and the sort of psych up and all of those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. You don't get the mental bit of it. Yeah. You don't get the people around you. So no, not the same at all. Yeah. And then I think one time we were just like, well, we'll just do it as a marathon pace training run or something. Or at least I did. I think one of them I had I did by myself. So not not ideal. So the the buildup was not ideal. And so I guess uh, we didn't really know what to expect in the race. And when we saw that halfway through, we were sort of like right on target. We were super encouraged. But then the conditions of the day uh, didn't allow for that sub three hours. So we ended up running about 305. Yeah. And in the second half of the race, we were together perfectly together basically for the first half of the race. And the second half of the race, we sort of split up because the wind was blowing hard and we were both getting behind our kilometer pace schedule. Mm-hmm. And my mentality at the time was, darn it, I'm just going to fight this. I'm going to try, <laughs> try and force it and not worry about trying to conserve um, energy, but try to force it because I figured if I could get up to the turnaround point, um, maybe I would have the wind on my back and if I was still on schedule, I would find the energy from somewhere to, mm-hmm. to keep going. So I sort of tried to force the pace a little bit. And I think you were a little bit more, okay, I know what my effort level is now and I just need to be sensible and you were a bit more measured. And so we yeah. got apart. I got a little bit ahead of you. In fact, by the time we turned around, I think I was probably what, like one or two minutes ahead of you, one and a half minutes, something like that. Yeah, something like that. I remember seeing you at the turnaround. I still had uh, probably, I don't know, 200 200 meters to go. So you must have been like 400 meters ahead of me. So, but but what happened to me then is I think I I exhausted myself. So when I turned around, although I had the wind on my back, I couldn't kind of push the pace over and above the target pace in order to recoup back the the seconds lost. And Mm -hmm. because I was failing to do that, eventually I got to the last 5K and I thought, well, it's gone. There's no way I can catch up. And mentally that was then a struggle for me as my pace started to fall off even more. And I think Mm -hmm. you were more measured and you started to catch up at that point. And in fact, probably if it had been about a K longer, we'd have probably finished uh, together. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I remember being kind of surprised. I thought you were long gone. I thought if there was, there was one of us that was going to achieve the goal, it was you, uh, based on how far you were at that turnaround when I saw you. And then I remember, um, passing one of the runners that we were running with in a group at the beginning. And he said, yeah, your, your friend passed me a while back. And, um, then he was, I think he had actually stopped because he had a cramp. And then, so he wasn't stopped because he was tired. So what I did was I tried to stay with him and then he started running the pace, the pace that you're supposed to run for a three hour marathon. And I tried to keep up with him, but it was too fast. So even though I had kind of been a little more conservative than you, like I still couldn't maintain that pace on the way back with the wind in my back. So, um, but I probably had a better pace than than I would have had if I pushed harder. So I guess I started catching up. I was surprised at the end. I I remember hearing your name, like as I was getting close to the finish line, because you can't really see the courses. It's flat, but it was a little bit turny. 
Well, the finish line was sort of around a corner, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, into a field. Um, yeah. But you could hear the announcers. Yeah, I remember that. So how did you feel about failing, sort of failing the goal? You just invested 20 weeks and you're a miserable failure. So I guess I, so I kind of had two sides of it because I was injured for part of the training plan as well. So I think I was sort of happy that I was no, no longer injured, that I had to stop running. But at the same time, I was, I was pretty disappointed because the training plan was really hard. And, um, you know, like, I mean, I just didn't want another result the same as the result that I had gotten like two years before. So (laughs) I just didn't want that, you know, I wanted at least a personal best or something, but, uh, yeah, it's it, but I, I do feel like afterwards I was really determined to, to try again. So, yeah, I think when I say you're a miserable failure, I was kind of tongue in cheek, Mm. poking fun at you a little bit. Yeah. I think like you, our preparation wasn't ideal and therefore, and race day wasn't ideal conditions. And therefore you say, well, there's something more that can be done. Probably from my point of view, I ran sort of two or four high. So almost two or five. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, that that's the second fastest marathon that I've ever done in my life. And that was the fastest one was 23 years ago. So when I thought about it, I thought, well, that's, that's pretty darn good. I can take some positives from just the numbers, but of course you didn't achieve your A goal. So there's still something to do. I think we both went into the training thinking, well, the training is the training for the training is a journey to be enjoyed and to be appreciated for its own thing. And so we didn't, we didn't have anywhere near the sort of feeling that, oh, the training's been wasted or it hasn't Mm -hmm. worked. It was great to sort of discuss, okay, so how do we feel about the training? Oh, maybe we left too much on the training ground. Mm-hmm. We tried to train, you know, we were talking with um, Ben Rosario. I noticed you getting a free consultation in our last podcast with Ben Rosario. Yeah. No like shame. Getting, getting the Nazali <laughs> coach, give you professional tips on, on how you should train. You know, one of the things that. Yeah, you're welcome, Alan. Cheers. <laughs> the check's in the mail. <laughs> Um, one of the things uh, that I think was our take home was we tried to train from the beginning at the target race pace mm-hmm. as our target, which was wrong. Yeah. When in fact we weren't able to do that at that time, we should have trained a bit slower and then cranked it up as we got fitter. Lesson learned. Um, and also yeah. a, a reason to try again. Yeah. From my point of view, I think, um, you know, time's running out for me. Yeah, you do say that sometimes, but I really don't think, I don't think it's running out. I'm I'm in my (laughs) sixties and uh, uh, I shouldn't be necessarily trying to do a sub three hour marathon, but I think while I've still got the will and uh, I still think it's, it's sort of touchable and I still think there's a gap to be, to be obtained that can be done. I think I'm going to try. So I'm going to have another day this year, probably Mm -hmm. at the end of the year. Yeah. From your and point I, of view, you're young, so you've got years ahead of you. You're just going to get better probably with, with you know, training blocks. Yeah, hopefully. But uh, yeah, that three-hour marathon, oh, that's been a, a long journey. It's been a long-time goal. But I, I think, you know, me and you both, we talked about the training plan we followed, and uh, we were we both were kind of like, 
those medium long runs, those were th- something that we never really did. Like we've, we've done medium long runs in terms of distance, but we never did sort of like at a, at a pace, whereas those medium long runs we were doing in the advanced marathon plan, they were not just like an easy jog, medium long run. It was sort of like, it wasn't a tempo run either, but it was sort of uh I guess kind of like an easy aerobic it was kind sort of, of thing. a tough long run pace. Yeah. yeah. So, and there were a lot of them and I feel like that, that was maybe something that'll give us kind of an extra boost. Cause it's something that we both never really did. Like we never really yeah, paid so I attention think that's, to that's our sort pieces. of training in our legs that we didn't have before. Mm-hmm. And maybe the second time around, it means that it'll be easier. I have a funny feeling it won't be an easy. <laughs> hey, if it was easy, it wouldn't be so much fun. Yeah, yeah. It that's wouldn't feel I as said. good as it's going to feel when you eventually do it. True, true. That, that's right. So what are you going to do this year? We're going to have another go. We're both going to have another go at uh, Toronto in October. Yep. Three, three hour. Um, are you going to have a try in the spring? No, not for me. No, I'm going to, I, yeah, I, I don't think spring marathons just, um, historically for me or never produced good results. So I didn't even sign up for one. I'm actually doing some indoor track once a week and uh, I'll probably do, I have a bunch of, I have a bunch of deferred races from 2020. Like I had signed up for some local fives and tens and even a half marathon. I actually have a half marathon in May to do, but um, it's all like deferred races from 2020. And then uh, we're going to do in July the trail race that we signed up for. Yeah, that's right. The Quebec Mega Trail. Yeah. And how about you? Uh, I'm going to go full on long, slow distance for, for trail training. I'm going to Portugal to do a five day, um, all being well with travel, etc. I'm going to Portugal to do a five day stage race. Which is exciting. Which should be fantastic. Yeah, we haven't been out, out and about for a while. So I'm just going to sort of focus on that and just try to put lots of sort of stamina tra- type train running into my legs. And maybe I'll have a pop at some of the um, Quebec provincial age group records if they, they come up. I think um, you should because some of them are a bit soft. Considering well, you're saying like- that I'm not very good. I need a soft <laughs> record. Otherwise, no, no, no. I'm thanks. just saying I'm just saying that you're so much better than the record that like even if you were not training for the distance, you could probably get them. Yeah, well, that would be fun. It's just—it's it's a bit like going searching for FKTs or something like that. It's <laughs> oh, look, there's a little record in the province of, in my age group that I can knock off. Take so down. I might, yeah, I might just try and collect a few of those. That could be fun, and then go for a real earnest uh, marathon training program. Mm-hmm. I guess we're talking about whether we'll repeat. We'll repeat our training program with lessons learned. We yeah. might just do that to give it the, the best um, chance. To, to work correctly because um, yeah. we, we figure that uh, it has things to offer. So we'll see how, we'll see how that goes. We'll make our minds up during the summer. We will also take some of the advice we got from coach Ben. Yeah, no doubt. You'll be, you'll be talking to other people on the podcast and getting free consultancy. <laughs> as well. Yeah. I seem to be pretty good at that, but, uh, but since you're help. my training partner, you know, it means I get the that free you consultancy also, as well. Yeah. You also benefit. <laughs> I can blame you, but then I can, I can steal all the knowledge. Yes. Excellent. Yep. Good stuff. But, you know, uh, as I hope our listeners can tell, uh, you know, we had a ball trying and it was just fun. I mean, if you, I think if you hit the goal, it's just a great big extra bonus. Mm-hmm. But I think we, 
we sort of phase our, our learning and our, our trials and our efforts and our training to be fun anyway, you know, to be, to be good and enjoyable in like the inverted commas. Yeah. Sometimes it hurts a lot. <laughs> that it does. So I guess that's a long story for our intro, which is our three-hour marathon effort. Anything else to add on that? No, I think uh, we've pretty much um, described it all. Okay, so maybe we'll play some intro music and we'll get on with the 10 book summary. Sounds good. Oh, I don't have the music. Could you just sing it for me? <laughs> no, no, I can't. No, I no. And and there's no. And there are no words. You can make the noises. So I'll Think need to get some that. instruments for next it's okay. time. Don't worry. Just do it. I'll edit it out afterwards. No yeah, one will right. know. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, and welcome to the Running Book Reviews podcast, where we review running books to help you decide if you'd like to read the books for yourself. We also hope listening to us chat doesn't make you fall asleep, but actually helps you keep you motivated about your own running and maybe inspires you to try something new in your own running. Onwards and upwards, we say. My name is Alan, and here with my co-host Liz, we're going to do something a little different for this episode. Not necessarily that different, because if you've been listening to us, you'll see that every 10 or so episodes, we do uh, a review of the last 10 books that we've done and uh, what touched us about them, what we learned, what was remarkable, what was fun, and generally the highlights. Okay, so without further ado, let's go rewind back to book number 31 and talk ourselves through up to book number 40. So the first one was uh, Today We Die a Little by Richard Asquith, which was the book about uh, Emil Zatopek, who was the Czech runner um, that won the, the 5,000, 10,000 and the marathon in the same Olympic Games. So I guess I, I particularly like this book because um, my parents are immigrants from the Czech Republic and my dad used to always talk about Emil Zatopek and I remember not really caring when I was a teen and now I realize how remarkable he was uh, and how well loved he was around the world. You know, I, I had kind of heard about his athletic accomplishments but never heard so much about what a great person he was as well and a good sportsman. I also learned about communism and why survivors of that era are so suspicious of everyone around them. And uh, it kind of makes me understand uh, a little bit of, um, you know, like behaviors that I see today in my parents. Yeah, it seemed like everybody was informing on everybody else, you know, brothers mm -hmm. informing on mothers. and Yeah, really like you couldn't, yeah, like as if you couldn't trust anybody. And uh, uh, also, I find that that Richard, uh, the author, Richard Asquith, was uh, kind of amazing because he ended up learning Czech, which is not really he's an easy language. a fantastic guy. He's a totally amazing. I mean, one of the wonderful yeah. things about doing this podcast is you get to talk to people like that. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you never would. I guess everybody knows, people in running anyway, knows Zatopek, and they know the fact that He's famous because he won the 5K, the 10K, and the marathon gold medals at the 52 Olympics, was it? But he, run, he won the three events, and it's never been done. But one thing that I saw in the book that, that kind of hit me was that, to give you an idea of how good he was, he took, we, at one time when he was up and coming, he took the Czech 10K record down by two minutes. Took two minutes off the 10K record. And he also ran a world record in the 20K. I guess the world record in the 20K is not 
not that um, uh, frequently tried, but he did it by running two 10Ks, both in sub 30 minutes. Wow. Which doesn't sound like sub 30 minute 10K for a world-class athlete these days. Doesn't sound like a big deal. But back in the day, there were only five people in the world who could do one 10K in sub 30 minutes. So yeah. there are only five people who can do one 10K. And he did two 10Ks back to back to set the 20K world record. That's incredible. Which is totally amazing. Zadpek was the, the first real, for me, the first real mileage boss. You know, you do like incredible trainings that you just couldn't like imagine. Yeah. And just some of the, some of the funny stories. Some of the stories were also pretty inspiring. It was almost like, you know, the saying where there's a will, there's a way. It's it's like he was really an example of that because, you know, you, there were stories of him uh, being out on kind of like guard duty. So he had to like stand in a specific place. You know, he was guarding whatever he had to guard and he would just do like he would just do high knees for like hours or <laughs> So like running in place, like high knees. I mean, yeah. I do 30 meters of like high knee drills and, and I'm, I'm kind of tired after I can't even imagine him doing like high knees for, you know, two hours or, or whatever he did. He also seemed like a fun guy. He's the sort of guy you'd like to have a beer with. Mm -hmm. And know? I think a lot of people would just go over and, you know, visit <laughs> to chat with them. Yeah. He, and he would invite you into his house and went and knocked mm. on his door. I think there's stories about people going knocking on his door and eventually his wife had to say, Hey, stop just inviting everybody in. He... <laughs> there needs to be boundaries. <laughs> okay. So that was today. We die a little. I think we, we pretty enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. Number two book, bit of a different, totally different change up. Uh, the running drug by Tim Bainon, a guy who was, he said that he won the, the anti lottery because he's sort of the most unlucky guy in the world almost because at mm -hmm. the age of 40 he was diagnosed with prostate cancer and the chances of you having prostate cancer at age 40 are like really really tiny like one in ten thousand or it's like winning the reverse lottery um, mm -hmm. but also at the same time the fact that he was diagnosed early if he hadn't have been getting tested and he wasn't diagnosed, he probably would have died. But because he was tested early and, and found early, he was able to have an operation. Um, so we went through his journey with him on his discovery and the traumatism of him having um, prostate cancer and waiting for tests and stuff, then having mm -hmm. an operation, which was done by robot, which was quite. That's amazing. pretty cool. Yeah. And then what he did afterwards was, uh, you know, he started raising money for charity and. Yeah, and then decided that the best way to do that would be to run the London Marathon, which uh, which is very hard to get into. Yeah, but he uh, he used his prostate cancer uh, situation to bypass the lottery. Yeah, because he, he was raising felt money bad about it. When yeah. we were talking with him, he was going, "Oh, I kind of cheated. I, I used the fact that I had prostate cancer to get through the lottery to raise money." We're going, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, completely legit, one hundred percent allowed to do that. <laughs> uh, he also invented a new term that I'd never heard of before called maranoia. Yes. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember um, that. <laughs> it's kind of the, the, the paranoid. It's like marathon paranoia, maranoia. Mm -hmm. It's like the fear of something happening to you when you're in taper. Yes. Um, you're catching a cold or tripping over the curb or doing something really bad just before the marathon. Yeah, getting injured in like the last two weeks or... 
so he's now, uh, you know, I think back to full health and uh, just raising money for for prostate cancer uh, awareness and treatment. So if you're out there and you don't get tested, you know, if you're getting blood tested, you can just add it onto your blood testing these days, PSA um, testing. You don't have to go any further than that. Just get yourself a benchmark. Do it. I guess also um, it, it's just kind of a lesson to not ignore your checkups just because you're a runner. You know, we tend to think that we're kind of like, oh, we're so healthy because we run. Usually yeah. when you run, you know, and you, you're kind of concerned about your performance, you also tend to like be a healthier eater maybe because, you know, you want to perform well. And so all that put together, you're like, but I'm in such great shape. Uh, so nothing would, can be wrong. Never, you would never know because there are no symptoms with mm-hmm. prostate cancer. Yeah, I think guys are a little, Some a lot of guys are a little like I am, which is don't go to doctors. They're going to tell you something's wrong with you. You don't want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so why would you go there? I know you yeah. laugh every time I say it, but yeah, it's I think so there funny. are a lot of guys who have that attitude. They do. They do. Yeah. I, I kind of noticed that. Oh, my leg's hurting a lot. Well, go to see the doctor. No, you'll tell me to stop running. Or why don't you go to the physio? Oh, well, then I'll get a diagnosis and there'll be something wrong with me and I won't be able to run. Yeah, until I go, you know, this this really sore leg that I can hardly walk on, it, I can pretend it's nothing. <laughs> Duh. I think, I, I think guys in particular are like that. Moving on. Yeah, on to uh, When Running Made History by Roger Robinson. Another, another fantastic interview with Roger. Um, he's had a whole lifetime of uh, being a fan of running that started at the age of nine, which was uh, pretty amazing. So uh, it, it actually, it made me realize how much can happen in one lifetime. I mean, he's, uh, he's witnessed so many great performances in his life, starting with his, I think it was his uncle that took him to a race at the age of nine. In his book, he talks about the things that he experiences because he was a kid and he went to races as a kid. Mm-hmm. And then he was an athlete. So he went to races as an athlete. And then he became a commentator or a sports writer. Mm-hmm. And then he so he went to, you know, races to cover them. Yeah. And so we go all the way from sort of 1948 with Zatepec at the London, London Olympics. Mm-hmm. His experience standing in the street in the dark and watching um, Abibi Bikela run barefoot in the 1960 Rome Marathon. He's the guy who won the Rome Marathon barefoot and put Ethiopia. Was it Ethiopia or Morocco? Yeah, I no, I think it's Ethiopia. Ethiopia on the map. In Ethiopia, this guy is a god because he's basically the first the first real Ethiopian to, to rise on the world stage. And then all the way through all the other events, including, you know, that he's present at the 2013 Boston bombings mm-hmm. and, and what happened there. And, and a lot of the things he talked about in his book seem to be a little bit about also fantastic sporting achievements in running, but also how it breaks barriers, transcends, you know, politics and unites people. Some yeah. of the things, some of the things were just those type of things rather than, mm-hmm. oh, wow, a gold medal performance. Yeah, exactly. And he he talks a little bit uh, about himself, like his own experience. And one of the things that uh, he talks about is, you know, he he kind of like restarted running twice after having 
to, uh, you know, he had one knee replacement surgery. So then he kind of like restarted running after that, then he had a second knee replacement surgery and he had to kind of restart running, but then it meant all his PBs from before were sort of unattainable. He's, he was also, I guess, getting older. So, uh, you know, they were maybe unattainable anyway, but it, it's sort of this idea of drawing a line in the sand. And so he kind of like drew a line in the sand at, at his knee replacement. And he's like, okay, now it's like a clean slate. So now I can go and collect a whole new set of PBs. And this is kind of like how we got over the <laughs> new records for the new knees, <laughs> new records. <laughs> yeah. So I, and it's a kind of a good, didn't he tell us that he even runs like a circuit that's on Strava that only he knows about. So he has the record. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. I don't know. I think that's great. Yeah, sometimes you just need to know when to draw the line in the sand so that you don't get, you don't want to always kind of live in the shadow of your past. I mean, because running is meant to be enjoyed now and uh, wherever you are in your stage of running. So uh, sometimes just, you know, draw the line and and have give yourself a clean slate like yeah. Roger did. Yeah, and I think one thing I, I didn't know about Roger um, before I picked up this book was that actually he's the husband of Catherine Switzer. Catherine Switzer, for people who don't know, was the first, one of the first women, if not the first woman to mm -hmm. run Boston yep. before women were allowed in Boston back in the 60s. And she was being kind of like pulled off the course. And those are kind of the, the pictures that, that you see of that, uh, of that race where there were some men trying to pu pull her off the course, but then some of the race participants were like, like no, no, I'm get a protector and she should run. So quite a powerful quite a power couple there in terms of running knowledge and history mm -hmm. it was quite privileged to talk with him so running the world by nick butter this this one was uh was was quite something yeah, nick butter ran 196 marathons in 196 countries to uh, achieve a world record. First of all, he ended up running like one marathon every like three days or something was the average. And, and he, he had to travel to different countries in between that. And yeah. some of those countries had a lot of challenges to get to, whether it be like getting a visa or, you know, if they were at war with another country, then you couldn't be coming straight from that country, even though it was right beside. Um, so a lot of logistics, I, I know that my partner, Andre, he also liked the book. He ended up reading the whole thing, like 450 pages or whatever the book was. Which, um, which if you knew Andre, that's totally amazing. Yeah, he's not a big reader, but he really got into this one because each it's like each country was like a story. It's true. Uh, that's what I felt. Each country was a story in itself. Yeah. How on earth is he going to get into Syria without getting killed or, you know, mm -hmm. just that? Or how will he get to North Korea? It's a story in itself. And although the countries were at war, I mean, there were many kind of regular people that were, you know, just trying to take care of themselves, their families, and they would actually like go out of their way to help him out or to come and like run with him or, you know, just to make him to give him a place to sleep. And um, I mean, it was just kind of amazing to see that, uh, that there's so much good in some of these places where, yeah, you know, it's kind we of all a, just a big hear... statement for uh, human kindness. Mm hmm. And human stupidity to some extent in some places. Yeah, for sure. And I guess it just also shows that, you know, we're not just 
we're not all that different from each other. We all kind of, you know, care about the same things. And I think once I talked to Nick Butter, I was, I was kind of, after the event, I was kind of stunned because, you know, if, if I could sort of try and put it into context for the readers, if you met somebody who was an astronaut, for example, you go, Oh, wow, you're an astronaut. You know, we've, we've got a guy in our um, running club who uh, was like in Top Gun and he, he flew jets and we go, Oh, wow. <laughs> what was your call sign? Were you called Maverick? And if you met a, if you met an astronaut, you'd, you'd, you'd go, Oh, wow, that's fascinating. You know? And you'd go, Ooh, there are only like, I don't know how many, like 200 people who've been up in space and you're one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's amazing. Well, actually we were speaking with Nick Butter and there's only one of him. He's the only guy on the planet who has done this marathon marathon in every country in the world. Mm-hmm. There's only him and we were talking with him and no one else has done it. And, and I was thinking, why doesn't he get more recognition? Yeah. And, and imagine all the people that kind of had to work together to make all that possible. I mean, not just, you know, his family, because his family was a, was a huge contributor to the success. But but also like in each individual country, there were people that that pulled a lot of strings to make things happen. And, uh, you know, get him in and out and, and he was, you know, safe and, uh, it's, it was, it was kind of amazing. It's like, well, like, look what all the things that people can accomplish if they work together. What was quite cool as well, um, that probably our listeners didn't realize was that when we were talking to him on the podcast, he was outdoors because he doesn't have a house now. He's has a, a a traveling, a motor home or something that he just drives around and parks at beaches and, sort of lives out of his motorhome. So he was sitting outside on the cliff or something in in the Mm -hmm. UK and uh, talking with us. And as we were talking, the sun went down. So um, we were looking at his pictures uh, on, on zoom on the, and then he was getting darker and darker and darker. (laughs) And in the end, it was just like a black screen with a few little lights. Yeah. I think it was his screen was lighting up his face a little bit. Like if he came really close, but he was basically in the dark. (laughs) you know, since he did this world tour, he's a different person afterwards. You know, he has zero worldly goods almost, and he's not really interested in that. He just travels around and does events and raises money for different charities. Yeah, different charities. He has a club called the 196 Club, of which I'm now a member, for which uh, I have to pay the exorbitant fee of, I think it's pound ninety-six pence, 196 per month that's donated to raising doing charitable works basically for other countries around the world. Mm -hmm. So next on the list was mental training for ultra runners by Adi Bracey. Yeah. I think the big takeaway for me from this book was um, that sometimes you just need to get out of your own way to be able to see what you can achieve. Um, There's a lot of that, you know, she gives a lot of good tips but uh, in the end, it's a little bit about you don't really know what you can achieve until you give it a good, honest effort. And sometimes uh, you have to also give yourself a chance mentally, uh, which I think I struggle with uh, a lot. I think the great thing from, for this book for me was that generally it really convinced me that I can achieve more than I think I can and that things are possible that you don't maybe didn't believe were possible if you just believe a bit more. And you follow that belief. And so it was great mindset training for uh, the marathon work that we were doing. Mm -hmm. Um, It it was possible to go into it. The reading, the reading came at a good time. Yeah, It was like while we were marathon training. Yeah. And so 
it was the book that enabled me to accept that I can probably do more than I think I can do, you know, or achieve a, a result that is better than I th think I can. And I also started, I probably became pretty miserable to deal with in our club because I, I started to tell everybody that they could do more than that. <laughs> You need to believe you can do more. You can do better than that. That's yeah. Mm -hmm. You you can't you, take it from me. You can do so much more. Well, yeah, but there's too. <laughs> yeah, I know. But there's too many people that'll tell you the opposite. Like we are always good at at finding reasons for ourselves why we can't achieve, why we cannot achieve something. And you know, for sure, like in general in life, like it's easy to find people that are going to criticize you for stuff or 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 give you reasons why you can't achieve something. Um so I think like the it, it's probably you're doing the club a service. I think what we learned really is that you can train your body up to 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 achieve something, but your mind at the at the far end of where you normally are, at the edge of your envelope, your normal envelope your mind will actually intervene if you're not careful or you're not conscious of it or you're not trained a little bit towards it. And we tend not to be. Your mind on the edge of your normal activity, your mind intervenes and it comes into your subconscious and says, stop, slow down, don't do that. You can't, you shouldn't. Because its role is to protect you, mm -hmm. not to enable you to do stupid stuff. Yeah. And it doesn't know that you're going to, you know, you're going to stop at 10K. It's like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? I can't, I can't sustain this. You're going to go on forever? No way. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was a good discussion in that book about getting in the flow, in the zone, mm -hmm. which is a cool, always a cool, it's sort of a mystical type thing in running. Yeah. It's always a cool thing to talk about. I was kind of happy to know that it's sort of hard to achieve because, um, you know, you're always kind of looking for that because I think a lot of us have had those races where we're just like, I don't know. I was just really in the zone and yeah. um, you try and go back there and you can't. And Addy kind of explained that, that, you know, you can do certain things to increase your chances of being able to achieve that state, but you know, it's a, still a little bit of a mystery. So you might not get there. Kind of like trying to get to Narnia in the line, the witch in the wardrobe, you can't find your way in and Till you're not really looking for it. If you go searching mm -hmm. for it, you can't actually find it. That's how I sort of envisage it anyway. <laughs> so how about uh, Running Against the Odds by Desmond Dunham? Yeah, Des Dunham. I guess I would describe him as an obsessive coach of black underprivileged kids. It was great. He's a fantastic energy. It was great talking to him. Um, first, he was a runner. Then he went to college. Then he goofed off a bit and so, sort of went off the rails a bit. Then got his mm -hmm. head together. And then became obsessive about coaching school teams uh, to run, in particular, less privileged, I think, black school teams who maybe didn't get the recognition. So there was a great story there, but I think there was also a great adventure and, and running um, finale type to the, to, the, um, to the end of the book where mm -hmm. he ended up coaching and inspiring some girl runners to be so good they were able to go to the pen relays which is kind of the super bowl of the junior school uh, activities and running in terms of competitions mm -hmm. and come up against the formidable previously undefeated jamaican school teams 
and have a showdown with them and the depths to which the girls had to dig to try to be competitive and that was was just great reading yeah and he really got the like he was able to make them believe in themselves enough that they got out of themselves more than they ever thought they were capable mm. of which is which is amazing i mean that's just the signature of of a great coach a brilliant coach yeah, yeah. Uh, I think uh, for me, like uh, it's, it's also, it was a bit inspirational in terms of, you know, you, sometimes you don't know what you're capable of until you try um, because, you know, you saw him, he, he kind of, he just didn't give up, you know, when he ended up losing his scholarship, he didn't say like, well, this is just the sign that I am not due, you know, I'm, I'm just not destined to have a degree. No, he, he ended up finding a way to pay that tuition and continuous schooling and get through it. And he made a mistake, but he owned up to it and he got through it one day at a time. Not that it wasn't difficult, but. Yeah. An indication of how obsessive he was at one stage, he got in trouble with his wife because didn't he sell his car or did something. I think he missed car payments. Yeah. I think that's what happened. He missed because... his car payments so he could pay for the kids to travel to an event. Yeah. Um, he didn't have the money, but he wasn't going to um, take anything as an excuse, I think. Yeah. It also, it also shows how much he really cared about his athletes because, you know, he, his athletes, their, their families didn't always have money to, to send them on all these, uh, to all these events. And so he, he didn't want them to miss out because of their, family's financial status. I think that was because, you know, he came from that background. So he, he knew what it was like to sort of want to do things and achieve and he wanted to like shelter them from that. So I just, yeah, great story. Yeah. Good read. So sort of for me, it was like a half and half story. It was like the story of Des and his life Mm -hmm. and the story of this team that he's coaching and how would they achieve? Would they not achieve? Yeah. Yeah. There was that. Yeah. It was like that double story. Um, I, I also, uh, what I got out of it was uh, sort of like that we shouldn't let other people put labels on us. Um, sometimes, you know, you, you kind of get labeled like he, he was, uh, uh, he was labeled with, you know, dyslexia. So usually you think, okay, well, it means that, yeah, you can't learn. So, well, what do you do? Well, you should, well, I'm going to just give up on going to school and getting a, a university degree, but you know, he didn't sort of let that affect him trying proof that sometimes you don't know what you're capable of. Good stuff. So on to book number one, two, three, four, six, seven, book number seven. I can't count the ultra mile by Tim Wills. This is sort of a, a, a guy telling his own story and self-publishing his first, first ever book. So totally different to some of the other the other books. So it was pretty interesting to, to, to come at this, to talk to somebody who's, you know, first time self-publisher. There was a whole bunch of training tips in there and, and then some insight into Tim and his mindset and why he's interested in going the ultra distance and uh, how does he cope with that in terms of what attracts you. It always fascinates me because it always looks as if it hurts a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me yeah. too. I, I think one of the things I, I can't say wrap is, my mind around you know, that. The, the average ultra runner who's doing a hundred miler. So, you know, we're, just, we're not talking about 50 Ks here. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I feel I can handle a 50 K, but I feel I don't want to go anywhere near a hundred miles. For me, they never seem to be really, really enjoying themselves. I think it's, just, it's an inside. <laughs> they never look very happy. Um, I think it's an internal process. 
except for Courtney DeWalter. She's the only one who smiles all the way through. Seems. She's happy all the time. <laughs> yeah, so it always fascinates me talking to the, these kind of people. You know, what, what attracts them to go deeper and further? And how do they deal with it? Because they, everybody has lows in these things. It's not like mm-hmm. you're avoiding hitting the wall when you're a hundred miler. No, 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 no. You don't avoid it. You go through it. You mm-hmm. go through it several times. You don't You're pretty much happen. guaranteed yeah. to hit the wall. Where, whereas in, in marathoning, you know, like that's part of the, the training is you're trying to, to see, okay, push how much up, effort, yeah. yeah. How much effort can I put in, but like, make sure the wall doesn't arrive before 42 K or at least not before 40, you know, if you have it for 2k, it's fine. But these guys, I mean, there's no way you're ever going to avoid the wall ever. So yeah. And they keep coming back. Tim Wills is running. Uh, I mean, he's ran several of these over hundred mile races. Yeah. And he seems to be looking for more. Mm-hmm. The, the big learning that I got from, from sort of talking with Tim about how you deal with this is the, the idea of chunking your, your effort, chunking your run, chunking being you chop it into pieces. I think probably you would do this naturally, but if not, it seems you can't really envisage a huge, massive run in one piece. Mm-hmm. So, so all you do is you just chunk it. So you take the first piece, you put that into your mindset and you push everything else away. Mm-hmm. You go, okay, I'll deal with that when I get to it. I won't even think about it. Yeah. I'll just go to the next aid station or I'll go to the top of that mountain or, you know, whatever the, the chunk is that you decide. And that seems to be a way in which ultra runners generally manage their runs. Yeah. I, I think also chunking, I mean, it's good for everybody, right? I, I remember um, running 5Ks on the track, which is like 12 and a half laps. And, uh, and we used to, our coach had said uh, to think about it in, in four three-lap sections. So when you're in your three lap section, it's you're either on the first lap, you're in the middle, or it's your last lap. And then that's it. Then you reset and you think about, okay, it's the next three laps. And so uh, that's kind of how, you know, how I was taught to think about, uh, about the 5k on the track. And so it's, it's sort of like the same idea, but I guess the distances are longer in these ultra marathons. Yeah. I guess when you think about it, it was a bit like our marathon that was like a double out and back. We said, well, mm-hmm. it's four chunks yep. out, back, out, back. So we said, okay, for this chunk, we're going to do this you know, for the next chunk. We'll have the wind on our back. So we'll We'll, we'll conserve. That's what we yeah. said, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah. We'll conserve. And then when we turn and we have the wind in our face again, we'll have a little bit of energy and we'll <laughs> be able to fight the wind and stay on course, which we couldn't do, but there you go. At least we had the plan. I think our chunking was good. It was yeah. the conditions that didn't really, you know, we weren't expecting it to pick up. I mean, the wind was already bad enough in the first chunk. <laughs> One of the things as well with the ultra mile and Tim Wills is, is about governing his mindset. So he talked about, you know, you got to keep trying to turn your mind into positive places because when you go into a dark hole in, on an ultra, you can go very dark and very deep. So mm-hmm. you've got to be able to stop yourself from doing that. I was surprised by the, uh, also the, the planning, the planning your crew, like you don't just plan your race in, in ultras. Mm. You also have to plan what your crew is going to do in some of these things. Like he was saying that even, um, for the later stages, when he is in that dark place, he needs to plan. Uh, he chooses his crew members because they kind of are the people that know what to say to him when he's in those moments to kind of help him, I guess, overcome that. 
yeah, you don't want somebody running next to you going, oh, you're limping a little bit. Oh, yeah, you should be thinking of dropping out. <laughs> you're, and then you're done if you do if you have someone like that you'll be done very quickly yeah and i guess it depends who you are because like maybe you don't want somebody to be like fresh and chirpy and just like tell yeah. you all kinds of positive things because yeah. you're feeling really crummy so you point. feel like punching them <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then that wouldn't be very good There's because whole game. you'd be whole missing game you'd be missing a crew member <laughs> So moving on, book number eight, to some extent, a similar but very different uh, book, uh, An Unstoppable Runner by David Williams. Similar uh, in that they both like to do ultra distance. Yeah. Events. Except uh, talking with David, I found a whole new place on the on the map of the world. Mm-hmm. Another, another spot of paradise called Flinders Island, where he seems to live, which is somewhere between Australia and Tasmania, like in the middle of the, the water there. There's a 60 mile island called Flinders Island. And that's where he lives. And I think he came from the UK or South Africa originally. But he, he lived in Sydney for a while. Yeah. I remember I, you guys, that's what you had in common. Yeah. And that was kind of cool talking with David because I was able to reminisce about um, some of the runs that I did in Sydney, Australia. And, and probably we were in the same races, some of the same races at the same time, but didn't know it because we hadn't met each other by then. Mm-hmm. The, the book describes a whole life experience of ultra running because he's sort of in his seventies now, I think, and still, still doing some sort of slower walk run type things, but there were some good insights of events that maybe you don't always see on the calendars, you know, not Boston marathon or these kind of things that everybody kind of knows about if you're in endurance running. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that was my favorite that he was talking about was a six day event that he did in Cambodia. So he sort of describes his, his running there and he go, Oh, wow, this is different. Yeah. I remember you don't hear about this very often. Yeah. And I think you were kind of inspired and and you were kind of in the back of your mind. I I could see that you you were probably planning like where you can fit that in, in your race calendar. Yeah. I'm supposed to be going to Portugal in April, but how could I fit Cambodia in? <laughs> and and then and then this is where I tell you, but Alan, you could just do it another year. And then you tell me, no, but I, I don't know how many I have left. Yeah. yeah I have I never, to do it all this year. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's absolutely true. What you say there. Fantastic. You, you understand. <laughs> yeah. I think we've had, I think we've had that back and forth a few times. Um, I, I really liked, um, David Williams book because, uh, you know, it kind of highlights that the great thing about running is, you know, the, the value of the experiences and not always, it's not always about speed and podiums and, and, um, and medals, which like for sure they, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, maybe that's what gets you into running, but then what keeps you there is really the, the experiences, the, the camaraderie. And, I think a little bit also that, you know, everybody has uh, demons that you have to overcome to finish a race in, in a time that you're proud of. And it doesn't matter what that time is. And it doesn't matter even what the distance is. I mean, even if you're running a 5k as fast as you can, like you still need to, you still have a point in the race where, where, you know, you'll have that, that demon come and sit on your shoulder and be like, nah, you can't hold this for the rest of the race. And you have to find a way to, you know, flick him off and, and, and be like, yes, I can. And get right back to the pace you were trying to hold. Yeah. That's a great point because one of the things that's occurring to me is if we ever get 
down to trying to achieve this three-hour marathon, we're going to have exactly that for the last couple of miles, the last three or four miles. Hopefully, Maybe. it's only the last three or four miles. Yeah. Well, if you're on target, you're going to be on target, but you're going to be probably straining at your limit, and you're going to have your little demons screaming at you, no, stop, 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 and you're going to have to overcome that. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to having that rendezvous. Mm-hmm. So moving on. Run, Run well, well by Dr. Juliet McGratton. So this one was um, was kind of a, a question and answer format, uh, which was which was really good and uh, and written by a medical doctor. So you know you you can pretty much take her advice. Although she does have a lot of times the disclaimer that you know you should uh, probably also consult your own doctor if you know you have specific questions about you specifically. But it was really a, a, a great book. I was kind of disappointed about uh, the fact that I can't do anything about my runny nose while I'm running. So apparently this is just something I got to deal with because there is no cure. So that was that was kind of disappointing to find there's out. No, there's no cure, but there's a treatment. It's not rockets. Yeah. I can teach you how to do that. No, I, Andre would love if you taught me how to do that. But <laughs> I'm too imagine. afraid. I'm too afraid of like, you know, getting it on my shoe. Like that would be embarrassing. And, or what if, you know, you're in the middle of a race and like you end up with like snot on your shirt. Maybe um, there's a technique, but like this uh, is, these are all the images that I have in my head. <laughs> big deal. That's what I would say. Well, the other thing is to wrap the, to get a buff, wrap it around your wrist, mm-hmm. and wipe your nose on it. Mm, yeah. That, that's uh, that's pretty much sometimes my solution when I remember to have a buff. Yeah, it was a fantastic. I love talking with uh, with Julieta. Um, she's so, so knowledgeable. and she But she had all the knowledgeable answers to all the questions that everybody asks. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my knee hurts when I do this. Oh, well, that could be this. Well, that could be this. Puts it all back into um, medical research, real issues. But also she had loads of great did you knows. Basically, don't ask Google, ask Juliet McGratton. She knows yeah. the real answer to why your knee hurts when you run, or uh, sometimes I get a headache if I run in the cold, or why does the sole of my foot hurt when I do this, or mm-hmm. how come, you know, she, the, all of those questions that every runner would ask, almost any question I could think of, it was covered by, by the book. But being a bit of a nerd, I liked all the little, did you know that? So like, yeah. Did you know that your lungs, if you opened them out fully, would cover the size of a tennis court? Yeah, I, I, I liked that. Fantastic. I like the did you know that your liver weighs 1.5 kilos? Yeah, that was I mean, that's wife. a big liver. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you know that sex on average only consumes 70 calories as an activity? <laughs> so don't kid yourself that you're exhausting yourself before you run. <laughs> Um, I was kind of reassured by the kidney section um, because, um, you know, I learned all the things that can make our creatinine level increase because I had some, some like high creatinine levels at my last, well, not my last blood test. Those were normal, but in the summer I had that and I found out, you know, there's a lot of things that can increase your creatinine level. And it doesn't mean that you've scrapped your kidneys. Um, because your kidneys can recover from all kinds of abuse that we put them through. So that was, that was pretty reassuring. I was pretty reassured that running, it's a fact that running will protect you and reduce your, your risk from a number of different cancers. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, yeah, oh, it's just runners thinking they're healthy again. But <laughs> no, there's actual factual data that um, shows you're at a low risk 
by running of all kinds of things. I mean, diabetes is an obvious one for me as a, an ex-pharmacist. I think, oh, okay, exercise is one way of coping and or fighting off diabetes, but cancers, mm -hmm. wow, it's amazing. Yeah. So uh, a different, totally different book, uh, but um, actually a lot of fun. Loads of stuff about digestive systems and reproductive systems. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yep. So if you're looking to the answers uh, to all those questions, that's where you should look. Just made me glad I was a guy and not a gal. Yeah. I have to say that the women seem to have a lot more um, places, places where they can have issues or times of their life when they can have issues. It's completely unfair. I'll take it. <laughs> Moving on. The Anatomy of Speed. This is our last book of this cycle. The Anatomy of Speed by Bill Parisi. Um, uh, the first thing that struck me on this book was that basically don't go, oh, speed. Yeah, I'm not a fast runner, so I don't need that stuff. So I'll ignore this podcast or I'll ignore this book. Um, in fact, speed is good and beneficial for slower people mm -hmm. and older people and, and has benefits to your running that um, might not be obvious to begin with, but is actually good for you if done correctly. So basically, if you skip that podcast because you were like, oh, anatomy of speed, I don't need that. You, you should now go back and, and listen yep, to it. You should. Yeah. Bill Parisi is, uh, is very knowledgeable. I'm talking to you, Coach Bill. Go back, <laughs> listen to it. <laughs> uh, so I guess uh, for me, it was the, it kind of just reinforced the importance of a proper warm up. I guess I just, I, I kind of always knew that sort of intuitively because you know, you feel it when, when you sort of do intervals on the track and the first few feel hard. Well, if you had a proper warm up, then uh, that would not happen as much. And uh, yeah, I guess also the, the idea of a pre warm up that was sort of a bit new, but uh, it was so well explained in the book that uh, it's, it's kind of, I, I take out my foam roller prior to going to the runs now sometimes. And, um, you know, I try and do a little of that. I'm the same. I, I wouldn't say I'm anywhere near perfect, but mm -mm. I do a little bit more than I used to. Yeah, exactly. You know, a little bit is better than nothing. And a little bit mm -hmm. more is better than what you did before. I think the challenge will be, are we still going to do that little bit when we start that marathon plan in the summer? Yeah, that's mm. going to be uh that's going to challenge, be challenge when we have a big load of running to do as well. The, the, the big learning is the, the fascia system is, is where it's at mm -hmm. with respect to performance, because this is the thing that gives you the elasticity of your body. And in fact, flexing your fascia system and using your fascia system is basically just using your body's natural connective tissue to give you elastic type energy. So you're not using your muscles. It's sort of free energy. Use your muscles mm -hmm. to push it along. But by using the elasticity of your natural elasticity, you get a little bit of free energy. So you can mm -hmm. get speed or endurance by training that system. And that's what Bill's um, anatomy of speed is is basically about. Also, uh, in, the, uh, in the discussion, I learned that the neurological system is all, um, a, a lot of nerve endings are in your fascia. And so by training your fascia, you're also training a bit your neurological system, you know, so that it, I guess your muscles fire up in the right way and are coordinated. And um, it's also good for, uh, for preventing injuries. Fascinating stuff on weights, how much you should be able to squat press to be, yeah. to be fast. I can't do that. No, 
I was glad that he clarified that, you know, for endurance runners, it's, it's a bit different. Like it's more, it's a fraction of the amount that was in the book, but then you should be able to do, I don't remember six or eight squats instead, but with much less weight, which, which seemed much more doable to me. I think he was talking still about 1.3 times your body weight or something or 0.8 times your body weight. Yeah. I think 0.8 for me. Yeah. And what, and I think I can your do body weight. Two. Can do point two. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all you have in your living room. But I'm sure if you went to a gym, you'd be able to do more. Something to work on, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. I was fascinated by by the fact that your speed could be influenced by how many your running speed could be influenced by how many pull ups you can do, how many chin ups you can do, because it's kind of a an illustration of your overall elasticity or your overall connectivity in terms of, I couldn't get my mind around pull-ups as sort of arm strength. And mm-hmm. What's that going to do with my legs being able to push me along? Um, but he sort of explains that and he explains the science about how, how all this works in terms of comes together, um, which was quite fascinating as a sort of one of those, oh, wow, I didn't know any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of the stuff we talk about and we read, you go, oh yeah, I know a little bit about that, but tell me more. Yeah. Or like, oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. Bill Perez's Anatomy of Speed, there were some areas of it because it's not coming necessarily from endurance running. It's coming from just speed work, whatever. There was a couple of moments where you go, oh, wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. Are you sure? And then he goes through (laughs) all the science and you go, okay, it's kind of an eye up now, but that's fun. It's part of the learning experience of doing these podcasts. Anything else to close out? I think that's that's it for me. So how do you how do you feel about um, the books we've read? Do you prefer like training books or or um, talking with people about their stories, technical stuff, or what? Yeah, I think I think currently um, I've sort of recognized that I've got a, a gap in the in the psychology department. You know, I feel like the whole notion of I like self confidence. <laughs> Yeah. So, so now I'm just admitting it to myself because everybody else would have known, but uh, yeah. So I think for me, I've been kind of drawn in by the, 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 the psychology books, like, like the mental training. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Just because I, I feel like, I feel like I probably have a lot of uh, work to do there. I mean, in terms of just, you know, uh, being more confident in my ability to improve and, um, in my ability to perform and just maybe even, even just doing things that I'm not good at in running. Like I'm not good at trail running, but you know, maybe part of that is because I'm not really confident in the trails, but maybe if I work on that, then, you know, some of it will translate into my other running. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I, I feel like I've been uh, kind of hooked on those, those types of books. I, I definitely love training books though, because, you know, I love reading all about the, the, the new types of training, like in anatomy of speed and, um, you know, like, trying a new training plan. That's always fun. Like we've been doing. Yeah. From from my perspective, I think I have a gap, a big gap in my appreciation of nutrition. Mm-hmm. So not necessarily reflected in these books, but something that's ongoing. I think a lot of books touch on them. Yeah. Because even like run well with, with Dr. Juliet, she, she talks a little bit about some nutrition in the, like she answers some of the questions in her book, I think. 
and also I think there's more I can do with strength training. So as an older runner, I think I've started to try to take on more protein. So I asked the question, where's the protein in my diet? And uh, mm-hmm. not only do I need protein in all my meals, but I need extra protein because I'm at that age now where my muscle wastage will be ongoing and I've got to try and fight against that. And I, and I need to do extra strength training as well to help my muscles, you know, what little feeble muscles I've got left. Well, I've got that problem too, because apparently you start having more muscle wastage after like the age of 30. So, I mean, you know, yeah, we're, we're both there. I should have more protein. Okay. So that's that. Uh, we hope uh, everybody got as much as we did out of those 10 books. I guess we'll be around with another normal episode with another new book uh, pretty darn soon. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to another episode of Running Book Reviews. If you'd like to leave us feedback about how we can improve the podcast or want to suggest a book that you'd like for us to review in a future episode, please leave us a comment on social media. We are Running Book Reviews on Facebook and Instagram. And on Twitter, we are reviews underscore running. Please also follow us on social media to find out about new episodes when they're released, or you can just subscribe to our podcast on your favorite streaming platform. We also have a uh, page on the Buy Me A Coffee website where if you'd like to help us out, you can go and buy us a coffee. We are um, under Running Book Reviews or Alan and Liz. I think if you search those two, you'll find us, but I will also link it in the show notes. We don't want to become caffeine addicts, but um, we are prepared to receive some coffees. Bye for now. Bye for now. Bye for now.